Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast, this for UFC Vegas 14. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined in, not in studio, on the line because it's COVID madness up here in Toronto again. Um, well, we've kind of been on lockdown, partial lockdown for like the last 28 days, and then now we're just we're just re-upping it. So Cody's going to stay home. He doesn't really He doesn't really come into Toronto unless he's like forced to. For the last little bit, and I can't really blame him. So we've been giving him the option, and he's likely more happy just to be in the comfort of his own home. Is that right, Cody? Well, I mean, see, Toronto, red zone, which is the zone right before the lockdown, whereas little Cody's zone, not motherfucking red, so why wouldn't I be hanging out here? But yeah, no, I mean, normally I go to the city a couple days a week to do some stuff for Fight Network, but I just don't really have anything to do the last two. So uh, yeah, I mean, we just figured might as well do it up on the computer, and hate seeing not being able to see my boy Paul Shaughnessy live, especially because last week he did a shoey. I didn't even get to see it, but all the same. I mean, I was hopefully all... we can uh, deliver some good picks on a rather lackluster card. But uh, these cards, it's hard to say this card's going to suck. You don't know until it actually plays out. And these cards are always a lot better if you make a little bit of money. So the greasy cards usually have a couple decent betting spots. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's in terms of, like, talent top to bottom, we're, we're missing. But we're in the betting game here, so... Every opportunity or every fight potentially offers an opportunity to get rich. Obviously, Islam Makachev pulled out of this fight. Paul Felder, thank you, Paul Felder, absolute savior, comes in, decides to fight at 155 on short, on like, what, a week's or five days' notice. He's supposed to be broadcasting this card. He's taking on Rafael Dos Anjos. Dos Anjos, minus 190 favor, Felder. Plus 165. I mean, I mean, just thinking about it. Felder, I, he must be in really good shape. He's, I see him doing a lot of swimming and stuff, like during quarantine to, I guess, kind of keep himself in shape. And when he's not on the gym or when he's on the road doing uh, shows for the UFC. But, I mean, RDA was getting ready for this. I know RDA had to pull out of his previous bout because of COVID, but... I don't know. It's a really tough spot for Paul Felder. It'd be hard to even put any money on Felder until you see what happens on the weigh-ins. Like it's it, kudos to him for taking the fight against RDA at his natural weight class and not being like, "Hey, can we make this a catch weight?" Which I think everyone would have been fine with. Maybe not RDA, but it's hard to not like RDA, who was actually getting ready for this fight against Makachev. Now, the, you know, the style completely changes up in this spot. But RDA can kind of go everywhere. It's going to be nice to see RDA not have to, like, just, like, spam takedown defense every single opportunity. Like, he has to, he's had to do for his, like, last five, six fights. He could be at the end of the road, but... Uh, RDA, given the circumstances, minus 190, like, I haven't bet him yet. He'll end up probably on a parlay of mine. What's your take here? Yeah, well, first things first, got to see the weigh-ins before you can make any type of uh, educated bet. And Rafael Dosanio said uh, minus 190. And that's strictly because he's coming back down to 155 pounds. And 
I honestly wasn't sure if we'd ever see this day again. Yes, he's the former lightweight champion of the world, but there's a reason why he left 155 and he just could not make it anymore. When you go back all the way to the Eddie Alvarez fight, which I was shocked, it's only four years ago. Man, RDA fights a lot. But four years ago is when he, as a three, minus 305 favorite against Eddie Alvarez, knocked out in the first round and then goes on record afterwards to be like, I had a really bad weight cut. I passed out a few times leading up to it. Uh, 155, you know, my days are numbered. Follows that up by going five rounds. Mexico City, mile high in the sky against Tony Ferguson. And that effectively was his last time at 155 pounds. That fight took a lot out of him. Obviously, fighting at altitude is always going to take a lot, but five hard rounds like that. Ever since then, everything's been at 170 pounds. And yeah, he's not the biggest guy at 170, but that's at least way better for his body. Obviously, Rafael Desanos is no spring chicken. He's getting older. He's now 36 years old. 55 is just a weight class, not for him anymore. The problem is, is that when you're Rafael, former world champion, you have such a legendary reputation you have a, a fantastic skill set who do you fight you fight the best guys and as a result he's been fighting the best welterweights but the problem is to be the best you gotta be a wrestler and he's been fighting all the best grapplers and wrestlers at 170 pounds colby covington one of the best welterweights i've ever seen certainly one of the best takedown artists at 170 takes him down seven times kamar uzman probably the best takedown artist at 170 one of the best welterweights i've ever seen takes him down 12 times kevin lee got a wrestling base big strong guy good wrestler takes him down six times RDA obviously had to take him into deep waters to win that fight. Leon Edwards, uh, technically he's a grappler. He's not really the same acumen of wrestler as those other guys. But again, he just goes to a wrestling-heavy game plan, takes him down three times, and then Kies his last time out, takes him down six times. They're all wrestlers, or they're all grapplers. Most of them have BJJ black belts, and they're all bigger guys because they're all natural welterweights versus a guy who, unfortunately, has trouble making 55, but is a 55. They just grind on him. At least now with Paul Felder, it's like, boom. The fact that you're not taking on a grappler at least he's going to have the type of fight that he wants, which is he could be able to strike in spots. And why doesn't he try to take down Felder that's a few times, mix it up? You know, like that's that's not exactly an advantage he has over some of these other guys. He can't take them down. Why not mix it against Felder? So I like the idea of him against a non-grappler. Great. I, I kind of like the idea of him back at 55. But again, at 36 years old, you're really going to have to see how Zappi is come way in his time. And with Felder, there's the unknown with Felder. Like, why wouldn't he have been like, oh, geez, you know what? I'm taking the fight in short notice. Give me a catch weight of 160 or 165. Surely Dos Anjos would have taken that. Like, I'm not sure which one of their idea was it to be like, no, I want this fight at 155 specifically. But also with Felder, his last fight against Dan Hooker, he looks like a million bucks for 10 minutes, first two rounds. And then after that, it's like cardio drops off, damage starts to accumulate, the pace just eventually gets to him, and he, he, can't, he can't see it through. Ends up losing a good, entertaining, very entertaining decision against Dan Hooker. Now he's on short notice, man. Like what? Best case scenario is here he has a good two rounds against Rafael Sanos. And then three, four, and five, he's going to start to get tired, start to get touched up more. Maybe Rafael gets him down. Like it should play towards Dos Anjos, But now we've got to assume that Dos Anjos can go a hard five off a bad weight cut, which I, I think he's probably going to have to have here. It's a bad weight cut. I mean, Just even so at, at altitude against Tony Ferguson all those years ago, though, he went five rounds. That was like maybe the highest pace fight you can ever really expect especially at altitude he was able to do it i i do agree though like if the weight cut is completely botched he hasn't been down here for a while he was getting ready for israel makachev or uh islam yeah islam makachev in a five-round fight though like all of it seems like all of the advantages are are in rda's court if he makes weight i expect this line to be considerably more than the minus what minus 190 right now just considering Paul Felder, what's what's he been doing? He's he was literally going to be broadcasting. He was supposed to be on the desk for this for this exact fight. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? This is this is really no disrespect to Paul Felder, but when he was fighting at 170 pounds, he tried it one time. He he lost to Mike Perry, right? 
he's not fighting Colby Covington. He's not fighting Kamaru Usman. He's not fighting Leon Edwards. He was, you know, he fights, he fights like top 10 guys at 155, which is where he's at his best. A 170, he would have never cracked the top 20. So Rafael fighting the best guys in the world. Yeah, yeah. He seems to be a, a better fighter than Paul Felder all around. But then you go back to Paul Felder and it's more so, it's cool seeing him come right from the commentary desk to the, to the octagon. You ignore the results. But the results are, he lost Mike Perry. Then he went the distance with James Vick. That's interesting because nobody who beats James Vick beats him by decision. They knock him out. But you know what? That's fine. It's still a victory for him. The Edson Barbosa fight, the second one, I, I thought he lost. I thought he lost that fight. Not only was he outstruck, but he got taken down. And then the Dan Hooker fight, he lost that as well. So his last four haven't been looking great. And then he's taking this fight on a week's notice. So, yeah, listen, it's a monumental task for him. I'm picking Rafael Luzanios. I really want to see the Wayne before I lock in anything. And then last thing I got to say is win or lose – um, Paul Felder's got a set of balls on him that maybe Michael Chandler does not. So Paul Felder is a G in my books. He'll always be a gangster in my books. Uh, taking this spot just like, could you imagine Chaos Williams, Razak Al Hassan's your main event? I mean, <laughs> Paul Felder is the definition of company, man. He saved the show. Kudos to him, but it's a tough task. I was uh, I was fully expecting that to happen. I mean, it is what it is. The, the card was going to be pretty thin in the first place, and then you lose your main event. It was, it was a tough scene. Thank you to Paul Felder. But um, one thing I want to just bounce off of you before we move on to the next fight. Un, like, do you think this gets finished? Because under four and a half rounds, plus 155 is jumping out at me. Yeah, you know what? Personally, I'm just thinking no, because even because of the short notice like nature of it, both guys have kind of proven to be decision guys. Paul Felder doesn't really have that knockout power. Yes, he is a striker, but as we mentioned, I mean, guy Cast that went three rounds with yeah. James Vick. Yeah, and, and he himself doesn't get finished. He's not getting submitted, right? Charles Oliveira had him at all sorts of nasty-nasty. Paul Felder just guts it out. I mean, he's a good grappler. As far as his chin goes, yeah, it, he can take your best shots. The only time he's been stopped was a cut stoppage. And he's fought in some really high-level strikers in there. He got he got punched 124 significant times against Dan Hooker. He wore all the damage. You know, Edson Barbosa, a guy that goes out there and puts it on, guys, he's fought in six rounds against Edson Barbosa. You know, like he's, he's been in there with the top guys. His chin checks out. His submission defense checks out. As far as him winning the fight, he's not submitting Rafael Desanos. No. So let's go ahead and throw that off the table. And then he'd have to knock him out. So as we just mentioned, Felder not really a power puncher. But then Rafael does not get knocked out. Yes, Eddie Alvarez knocked him out. And that's why the 155 weight cut has me intrigued. But beyond that, it's like the guy's also very cast iron himself. So it, it seems to me like this is going to hit the over. And with Felder taking the Maybe. fun on short notice, I his best about... game plan is bum rush this guy for two rounds. But I think he's just too veteran savvy that instead he'll just try to conserve himself and not go for the kill too early. He knows he's got five rounds. And Rafael probably respects this guy for coming, showing up. You know, I'm not going to say he's going to take it easy on him, but he might not fight with that conviction of, kill Paul Felder. And if he doesn't, I see it hitting the overs. I'm going to keep the uh, an eye on the weigh-ins, obviously. I just think if Paul Felder is coming in and, you know, doing this insane way, like if uh, the, the problem is we don't know, like how low was he already uh, before he accepted this? Has he been like doing these broadcasts, like, you know, within 10, 15 pounds of making weight just in the opportunity like this, that he could main event a show. So maybe, you know, maybe he's been, uh, being kind of staying ready for this type of opportunity. It's COVID times. Crazy shit's been happening. I'll be paying attention to the way and see. I feel like that would be my favorite uh, potential opportunity if I can get it at like plus 150. It's at 155 right now, but I want to see the way ins uh, you, you lay out a lot of good cases why 
the over is more likely. All right, uh, the next one. I mean, I don't think anybody's <laughs> betting overs on this one. We have Abdul Razak Al-Hassan taking on Chaos Williams. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, a minus 230 favorite. Chaos Williams can be had for plus 190. What's your take here, Cody? Yeah, okay. So always this is a pretty volatile fight that could go... Uh, I don't love the line in that Rizal Al-Hakasen is my pick, but he's a bit of a, a big favorite just because there's so many variables with his fights in general. He just goes for it, you know, 100 miles an hour. He just throws caution to the wind. He's got big power. He's got a judo black belt. His ground game's supposed to be okay, but you just never really see him use it offensively. He mostly just goes out there, tries to get a guy, line him up, buzz him with, the, with these big punches. It was effective at the beginning of his UFC career, just depending on who they match him up with. You know, he, he gets a hold of you. He's going to knock you out. But... I don't call it the layoff, which I don't really want to talk about his legal problems. They're kind of shady, but it's it's like if he doesn't get that first round knockout over you, his gas tank just falls completely off. We saw that in the Amari Akhmedov fight, whereas after a good first round, all of a sudden it's like, oh, that judo black belt, that, that really stout takedown defense, yeah, just not there anymore. All of a sudden, Amari Akhmedov is grinding on him. I was cool that he made it to decision. He didn't just end up being one of these guys that gassed out and just fell over. Uh, but same, it's a really it's a, it's a bad showing for him. Comes back from that, Saba Hamasi. Fun fight. Not exactly a great performance by him, but he gets the first-round knockout. Uh, Saba Hamasi fight in the rematch. Same thing. Gets the knockout. Looked a lot better there. Nico Price. That's a big win. But then he gets that two-year-long layoff. Coming back from that, I think a lot of people assumed he was just going to walk right through Munir Lazez. Obviously, as it turns out, Munir, pretty good fighter in his own right. But it was the same old classic Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Comes out there, tries to knock you out within the first couple minutes of the fight. If he doesn't knock you out, he starts to tire. When he, when he starts to tire, it's just like there's no output from him whatsoever. The zip on his punches aren't there anymore. He won't offensively take you down. He's just there to get hit. He's just there to get punished. That's a problem. Chaos Williams looks extremely unrefined. Extremely unrefined. But what he's got going for him is that he can pace himself out well through three rounds. He's got a decent amount of punching power himself. He's, to this point in his career, never been knocked out, which is going to be a plus for him. And also, just like he's only 26 years old. He's nine years younger than... Razak Al-Hassan. So him beating Alex Morono and taking a nine-month layoff, you expect improvements. You expect that this guy's going to be getting a little bit better in between fights. Nine-month layoff would be good for him. Still only 26. Going to get better as he heads towards his prime, which is usually around 31, 32 years old. Whereas Al-Hassan, is like he was actually near the end of his prime before he got the two-year-long layoff. Like he, I don't even know if he was cut from the UFC, but you know he obviously had to sit on the sidelines until he figured that out. Once he did figure that out, he comes back and yeah, I, I I could chalk it up to ring rust in that in his last fight against Lazez. Like, oh, geez, he'd been off for a while and, and this and that. And he hadn't really fought a whole lot of two and three round fights, so this was good for him that he was able to go through. But he's already done that. He's already fought three rounds against Hamariak made up. Didn't make any improvements. Hard to get behind him. Anyways, I'm gonna take him. I'll tell you why. Because Chaos Williams, you watch any of the tape on him, dude. He just bum rushes forward and just lets them hands fly. Left hand, right hand. They're usually low. They're usually just winging hooks. His footwork's okay. His chin's usually right up in the air, and you just see him get hit. You look two fights back against Jeremy Holloway. That fight was just a year ago. He got hit a lot against Jeremy Holloway, especially in that first round. He's got a 77-inch reach, does Chaos Williams, and yet doesn't fight like a man with a long reach. He's usually trying to get into the pocket and brawl with you, and yet his punches aren't super uh, super uh, like fast, so you can beat him with a punch. And because he's throwing from the hip, it's like you can just continuously beat him. Problem is Jeremy Holloway doesn't got the stopping power. Against Alex Morona, it's the same thing. He actually throws a three-punch combination that is like a foot out at the start of the fight. It's like, oh, classic Chaos Williams. But then Morono steps into the pocket and gets hit with like a 10-punch combination, and eventually Chaos Williams knocks him out. But it's only 30 seconds. 
if the fight would have played out, you would have seen repetitively, he just throws the same loopy combinations from the hip a lot of the time. So with Al-Hassan, it's like if he hits you, he's probably going to knock you out. But against these technical guys, you know, that can wear a little bit of damage. They can take his best punch, push him. He just falls right apart. Against Chaos Williams, even though he's never been knocked out, I, I got a good feeling that if he walks in there with his hands low and Al-Hassan touches him clean on the chin, he's going to go down. So that's why the under one and a half and the under two rounds is going to be super critical on this one. Because, yeah, if Al-Hassan's going to win this fight, he's going to chin-check Williams and knock him out. If he doesn't chin-check Williams, yeah, he's been to decision in his last two, but, like, you don't want to be tired with a guy like Chaos Williams who's got a lot of power kind of coming after you. And he so definitely honestly, I, has yeah, the cardio advantage from what I've seen in his other fights. Like the Jeremy yeah, Holloway the fight, watching that, like, he, he, he won the later rounds in that fight. He looked pretty... Pretty mediocre early on in that fight. He got taken down early against Jeremy Holloway. And then as the fight wore on, he started being the guy controlling. I mean, this is probably, this fight is probably the best uh, live betting opportunity. Because if Al-Hassan goes bombs away for the first uh, two and a half minutes, as he usually does, um, he has a history of not being able to uh, sustain. And if it's a high pace after the fact, if Chaos Williams can eat that damage, we don't know if he's able to uh, to take that type of damage. He hasn't fought anybody to this level of, uh, you know, this type of power, this level of skill. Uh, this is this is a spot where potentially you get like Chaos Williams at like plus three hundred after he's eaten a whole shitload of damage, but you see that Alisson is uh, getting hurt. I'll I'll be picking Alisson with you. Um, I think the lock of all locks. Uh, I mean, it's already fucking moving too right now. It was minus 550 earlier. It's already minus 650. And by the time people even listen, it'll be like minus 800. I don't even know if it's worth adding. But it was fight doesn't go to the decision, minus 650. Um, that just seems like it's it's destined to happen uh, with the, you with know the way just, these two guys to, match up. Yeah, just to throw my last point on it, though, like I wouldn't I wouldn't pay that kind of price for fight doesn't go the distance. Just because we've seen with with uh, Al Hassan, like when he does gas out and he loses the fight, he doesn't get finished. He just loses the fight. Mm-hmm. So if he if he wins the first round, I'm looking at what you're saying right there. You make a great point. Chaos Williams as a live bet opportunity after the first round. If he's going to lose his fight, he's losing his fight in the first round. If yeah. he simply gets out of the first round, Al Hassan does not win rounds two and three. So yeah, honestly, there is a world where Chaos Williams wins a decision, which would pay very big plus money and it seems like that would be something worth having at least a small stab at um but yeah yeah the he, he's got basically one round he got one round to go out there and put chaos williams out if he doesn't i don't know that his cardio keeps up chaos williams might just be able to just ever so slightly beat him in rounds two and three so i don't know i would like to say this is a pass fight altogether the last thing i'm going to say sorry sorry is uh we, we talked about glover texera last week glover texera is dog or passes best friend you know who's the bookie's best friend? Al-Hassan. Why? Because when his lost to Mariak Madov, he was a minus 265 favorite. He shit the bed. And then when he lost to Manir Laziz, he was a minus 350 favorite. And he shit the bed. And they're still feeding you this motherfucker for minus 250, and you're eating it up? Like, no, no. Don't bet on him anymore for these outrageous price takes because he's not trustworthy. One-round fighter, 35 years old, don't know how much he's going to improve on that. Try to live bet this one after a first round or just pass altogether. But I, I was feeling that on a straight up, no live bet, I would take Al Hassan. I think he's probably going to chin check Williams. Williams fights like that, he's going to get hit. If you get hit by Al Hassan, yeah, the I think way he that, goes down. But the honestly, way that he approached, a volatile fight, bad, bad pricing. The way that he approached uh, 
uh, Alex Morono in that fight is, yeah, chin up, just literally swinging bombs. Like, he's going to eat shit against uh, Abdul Razak al-Hassan. Maybe he just has, like, a crazy chin, and, and we'll, we'll learn that. But, yeah, pay attention to this one live, because if it's real, real hot, I don't trust al-Hassan to be able to go into deep waters at a high pace. Um, Got to keep the pace up, though. And uh, not get knocked out, which is easier said than done against Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. All right, we got uh, Julian Marquez taking on Saperbeg Safarov, your favorite guy. Um, <laughs> Julian Marquez, minus 280 favorite. Safarov can be had four plus 240. What's your uh, take here? Well, see, this is just another spot where you like the favorite. We, I like Julian Marquez. I just don't know that I like Julian Marquez to the sum of minus 280. Never I mean, yeah, listen, know. he should win this fight. I think he should win this fight over Safarov. And I also think the UFC is doing him a massive favor by giving him this fight with Safarov, who one could really have drawn the conclusion that he was no longer employed with the company, first of all. But also it's like it's a good, it's a good barometer test for a guy that's coming back after a two-and-a-half-year layoff you know, where is he at? Was he injured? I mean, how has he recovered from his injuries? Has he made improvements? At least this is not throwing him in too deep and it's not throwing him to too many unknowns. Like he should know what to expect out of Safarov. But with Safarov, like as much as he says he's 34, I'm not sure I believe him there. As much as he says, he went over this you know, before, yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, he's very much uh, an anti-Gulov type guy where it's like, listen, Gazmarat, I know you're lying to me. Listen, Saperbeck. I know you're lying to me. But he, he's looked those bat, really bad at 205 pounds. So Jean Vellante, that's his UFC debut. It's at 205. Uh, it's a competitive first round. He lands some bombs, but he's got no cardio, man. So after the first round, he just topples over and dies, gets knocked out, gets dropped, knocked out by Jean Vellante. Bad performance. Against Tyson Pedro, again, it's at 205 pounds. You know, he takes down Tyson Pedro, but to take him down straight into a Kimura, like put yourself into the position, and then furthermore get tapped in the first round by Tyson Pedro, Man, that was bad luck. But then he drops down to 185. I was mm -hmm. I kind of surprised he was able to do that. You know, drops off to 20 pounds. He was never a big 205er to begin with, but 185 seems like the logical choice. And he fought literally the worst guy on the UFC roster. They signed uh, Nick Nugaranu for Nugurine. one fight. He yeah, came yeah, in. I remember that guy. I'm pretty sure he was on short notice, Romanian guy. And uh, I'm pretty sure he's cut. Like, he hasn't fought since. It's been a year. But I'm pretty sure the UFC has officially released released him from his contract. He was absolutely awful. And Safarov wins that fight. But the Rodolfo Vieira fight, you know, I know it ends quick, but geez, you know, he was out striking uh, Vieira. He's letting some good shots. It kind of hurt him. He got taken down the first time. He's able to spring back up to his feet. Hey, decent. The second time he gets taken down, he gives up his back. And while well, after that, he just obviously works himself into an arm triangle choke, has to tap out. It's against Rodolfo Vieira. It's the best guy. Could he have theoretically made some improvements? No, no, I don't think so. He's 34 years old. I don't think his body's in great shape to begin with. 185 is going to give a better version of himself. But his striking looked okay. You know, as far as his wrestling goes, like, I don't know that Julian Marquez is looking to take him down. The thing is, is that even though he went three rounds against that Nigrianu, he's, he's just a one-round fighter. He's always been a one-round fighter. If he's fighting someone who's not going to, you know, fight back, which is essentially what his last, his only win in the UFC did, just didn't throw anything back, yeah, he'll win that fight. But against someone who's actually going to go in there and mix it up, he's in trouble. Julian Marquez, we don't know what he's been up to in terms of he hasn't been fighting, but at least what we do know from his fight career is that, yeah, he's got questionable cardio, which whereas that's going to be a big problem against a lot of guys. Against Safarov, you could probably get away with it a little bit, is that uh, he, he comes forward and he brings the fight to you. He's got big power in his hands. You know, He's got good striking. I think he should be able to take out Safarov within under one and a half rounds. If this fight was to go to a second round, third round, um, then you start to worry for Marquez and just 
a layoff and this and that. But it's important to note that, you know, this guy's 27 years old when he fights Alicio DiCirico in a split decision loss. You know, he was competitive in it. He just got tired, understandably so, I guess. Uh, just once beaten in his career. Like, he's got to learn these 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 moments in, in the game, right? What has he been up to? I don't know. He's at Syndicate MMA in Vegas. Everybody says that he's been training pretty hard. At least he's been local to this fight. And uh, them bringing in Safarov is like them bringing in somebody for him to go out there and mm. get that win, get his feet wet, get back in the win column. But I don't want to bet him at minus 280 six, just because Six-inch reach advantage for Safarov here too, man. Like, I don't know. No, no, dude. I think it's dog. I think it's dog. I think it's dog. I think it's dog or pass. I just don't yeah, think I'm going to pull the trigger on Safarov. This is not a guy yeah, no, that – this is a guy I've, you know, done most of my work just fading Safarov at every turn. Um uh, it's gonna be tough to click that button, but I, I can't. I can't bet Safar uh, Mar- Marquez at minus two eighty. Like no, no, thank you. Especially yeah, two two year layoff. Uh, he missed weight by five pounds last time. And hopefully he comes in in better shape this time around. There's a lot of uh, question marks that you don't want to be paying like minus three hundred on on this one. All right, we got Kay Hansen taking on Corey McKenna. Kay Hansen minus two twenty favorite McKenna plus. 180 super super young fighters here Kay Hansen's 21 and so is Corey McKenna um McKenna took on that that what Demopolis or something on the contender series like she was able to take her down control her but Demopolis did not seem to have uh much uh takedown defense and her grappling was really not on point Kay Hansen on the other hand this is Arguably a step down in competition, taking on Jin Yu Frey, a very, very experienced fighter, in her last time out. And, you know, she got banged up a little bit. She had the, you know, big cut above her head, and it was looking a little dicey. But her grappling looks pretty solid, especially at this stage in her career. She's obviously going to be making improvements, fight to fight. Um, I like her to get the job done here. Minus 220 seems a little bit rich for a 21-year-old strawweight. Um, but I, I did quite enjoy like the smile that she gave the camera as she was bleeding all over as she had just won. Um, but born fighter, I think we've got here. So, yeah, I uh, haven't put, bet anything on it either. But uh, Kay Hansen, minus 220. I think she's just a little bit further along in her development. What's your take here? Yeah, so I'm going to go the other way on this one and go Corey McKenna. I know that she's a pretty considerable dog price, and that obviously helps in terms of making the pick. Listen, they're both in a similar position where they're both 21 years old. They're both young. They're both green. They're both developing. So you can't go wrong taking either side of this. Like, they're both there to make mistakes. They both do make mistakes. It's just kind of, you know, which game plan is going to work. With Kay Hansen, here's the thing with Kay Hansen, right? So as much as her grappling is good, it's not as good as Vanessa uh, Demopoulos. It's not. Fact. Vanessa can't wrestle for absolute shit. I give her that. You know, Kay Hansen's a much better wrestler. She ends up on top of McKenna. That would be a lot more interesting. But as far as her submitting her off her back, like, I don't, I'm not seeing it happening. What I go back to is that, like, she's had a lot of struggles in her MMA career that have been grappling related. She's also one in four as a pro boxer. So I know a uh, shout out to my boy, uh, Gabe Killian. He, he says she's a good striker. Like, I, I don't see it, man. One in four as a pro boxer was not a good boxer. As far as her MMA career goes, she doesn't throw a whole lot, right? Like, her hands are decent. I thought she looked decent against Jin Yu Frey. Her striking looked better than it ever has. And, again, 21, she's getting better fight to fight. But she was soundly getting obstructed by Jin Yu Frey. She lost the first round getting obstructed. The second round, she was eventually able to get the fight to the ground. And that's where you see her shine. And in the third round, she's getting obstructed 
up until she throws up a flying armbar and is able to submit her with the flying armbar. She went two for 11 on takedowns in that fight. The thing is, is that the flying armbar counted as one of the two takedowns. Mm -hmm. So beyond that, she was really struggling to get Jin Yu Frey down. Now, Jin Yu Frey gets taken down by everybody. Jin Yu Frey is a 105-pound fighter that just really, really, really does not deal well against physicality and bigger grapplers. Whereas she had good spots against Kay Hansen where she's able to keep her up. As far as the, the, the striking goes, you see Kay Hansen, she's not in her element. Well, let's look at all of her pro losses. The Kay Schwartz fight, she takes her down, ground and pounds her out, the referee stop, the doctor stops it. Okay, the grappling let her out, no problem. She fights Aaron Blenchfield. That fight's two years ago, Paul. Not that long ago, two years ago. She's 19, but don't you know it? Aaron Blenchfield's 19 as well. She gets taken down in the first two rounds. She loses the fight based on the grappling to Aaron Blenchfield. Then she took a pro boxing match, which she lost. Then she took on that Magdalena Sermova. Now, Sermova's 30 years old. So it's tough for a 20-year-old fighter to be taking on a 30-year-old fighter. Like, I'm going to give her a pass in that fight. But why does she lose the split decision? Because she gets taken down by the older, stronger, more veteran-type fighter. The grappling's been screwing her over. Now, the last three MMA wins, they're not grapplers. So she's been able to employ her grappling or at least use her striking in spots. Like, listen, she's getting better. She's developing. I like her. I like her a lot. I would probably bet her against a lot of these younger fighters in the division. But they happen to give her Corey McKenna, which i got a problem with. Because Corey McKenna's got a lot of good going for her. First of all, she made her amateur debut. She was 15 years old. So right from the get-go, this girl's been fighting amateur. Or she's been fighting MMA. She was an amateur standout, undefeated as an amateur. Her father was a paratrooper in the Welsh Army. He's also the former Guinness Book of World Record holder for long-distance running with a weighted vest on. Guy's a fucking madman. Does not stop. She's very much the same. Her mom's an MMA fighter as well. The whole family's just geared towards how can Corey get as good as she can get. So she does get as good as she can get on the, on the European regional scene, fighting cage warriors. So what did they do? They take her and the whole family moves full-time team alpha male. She's been grinding at team alpha male unbelievably hard. Coming into that last fight against Vanessa Dumopoulos, you saw all the improvements that she's made at team alpha male. You see that this is a, deep, a, a, a getting better, getting better, getting better. In fact, they talked to Uriah Faber right before her fight to be like, Uriah Faber, what do you think of her? And he's all about it, right? This is someone that's getting better. This is somebody that's making those improvements. I like it. As far as her going out there and out striking Kay Hansen, she's a little more loopy than Hansen is, but she's got better volume. So I think Kay Hansen will lend the better punches, like maybe the more eye-appealing punches. But the volume should go towards McKenna. What I'm banking on here is that McKenna's going to get some takedowns. And when she ends up on top of Hanson, Hanson's not submitting her off her back. So I think she should be able to just grind away ever so slowly at her. And then the last two things that I really want to take note of is the last fight against Vanessa Dumopoulos. She goes to Team Alpha Male. Again, she does her full camp there. And they bring in uh, Sarah McMahon. Sarah McMahon is the wrestling coach at Team Alpha Male now and takes this girl under her wing. Mama Bear McMahon takes little 20-year-old Corey McKenna and is like a mother figure to her. Her wrestling looked a lot better than Vanessa Dumopoulos' fight, for sure. You look at anything from this camp, go to Instagram, whatever. It's like they're roommates. I mean, she's actually being mentored yeah, hard by I Sarah just, McMahon. I was looking, I was I was on her Instagram right now, seeing her in Lake Tahoe with uh, with Sarah McMahon. And I throw her, out everything chief, I just said, Cody. And then her chief sparring partner for this fight has been Xiaonin Yan, who just fought last weekend, mm -hmm. who we all know is at Team Alpha Male. So it's like, girl, you in good company. You got a badass well, girl cool. to strike with as a chief sparring partner at Alpha Male. You got Sarah McMahon to wrestle with. She's improving. Bang, bang, bang. You know what? Why are we just talking about camps? Kay Hans is making improvements. Nope. Nope. See, I, I don't think she's making those same improvements. I don't think... At 21 and 21, she's a little bit better now. But McKenna's just, 
I just think that her rise is going to be a little bit better. Now, mind you, her pro loss as well, it's not the takedowns, it's the striking. The striking mm-hmm. like cost her, but she scores some six takedowns against a 30-year-old opponent and eventually loses a close split decision. It's the improvements she's made since then. So listen, I would line this closer to 50-50. We have two yeah. 21-year-old girls. They're both good. They're both improving. They're both setting themselves up to be future stars in the division. But to say one of them is a minus 220 favorite over the other, like, nah, dog. I don't see that at all. So, so, so my dog picks here is going to be Corey McKenna. I mean, Cody rarely makes dog picks, and when he does, you better, you better get on board. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna be following you on that one. Corey McKenna, McKenna plus one eighty. Let's go. All right, we got Eric Anders taking on Antonio Arroyo minus one forty. Anders plus one twenty. Arroyo, uh, where are you at on this? Okay, this this fight was the first time in a long time that I got that thing where you start to confuse people because it got announced and I started rubbing my hands together. I thought it was Eric Anders versus Andre Muniz. (laughs) But it was the guy that Andre Muniz beat. Oh, no, no. Yeah, listen, honestly, this is closer to a 50-50 fight. Like, Eric Anders is one of those guys that is going to let you down. You can talk about all you want about the athletic pedigree and, you know. Yeah, we're so far past that at this point. Like, yeah, he played football like a, a decade ago. And, like, good on him. He went to the national championship. He played for... For Alabama, but just like we can't, we can't go down that road so many times. No, that's it. That's kind of the narrative every time out. It's just like, oh man, he's a really good athlete, and he's going to put it together at some point. But it's like you want to know something interesting. After he had won that national title for Bama, he was one of the team captains. I think it was six guys from that national team or that national championship winning team went on to the NFL. Andrew's not one of them, obviously, but he got a couple tryouts is that he was losing to guys like Chase Horton as an amateur. Like, Chase Horton, by the way, was 0-0, and Eric Anders was 5-1 and at the time. Like, where was the athleticism when he was fighting nobody amateurs in Louisiana? Like, it didn't even translate as an amateur. The amateur, he lost three times. Anyways, he turns pro. And honestly, I thought when he beat Brandon Allen for the LFA title, comes to the UFC, he beat Rafael Natal. It was a good knockout. Uh, he beat Marcus Perez. Perez climbed a little bit. It's like now we see him growing. As you know, they call him Eric Anders, your boy. Everyone used to say, oh, Cody, he's your boy. I loved Eric Anders. It's that making improvements is something critical to make between fights and fight to fight. You know, even the best guys got to make improvements fight to fight. Eric Anders makes absolutely Man, zero improvements. Seen fight to fight not none the the leona machita fight he just refuses to throw anything some people thought he won i think you thought he won didn't win man he absolutely did nothing he allowed that fight to slip away from him and that he lost because they were in brazil and need to do something and i had him i had him he he lost he lost tim williams fight he looked abysmal until williams for whatever reason put himself in a really bad spot and then beyond that it's like he either takes really bad bees tiago santos Khalil rounder he gets outsmarted elias theodoro the christoph jocko fight he literally had nothing to offer jocko the gerald mirashar fight he squeaked by him by the, the grace of god on a split decision and Vinicio Moreira. it's like literally it's anybody like in the, the ufc woke. is gonna beat. yeah of course of course so anytime that they're gonna present you with an opportunity to bet eric anders as a favorite you just can't do it you can't do it you could you could Build a case for betting him as an underdog. He's got some decent power. His cardio is not very good, but because he doesn't throw a whole lot, you know, he's able to pace himself over the course of three rounds at least. He's big, strong, physical guy. His takedown defense really isn't all that bad. Uh, obviously, he's got that athleticism. It's like he just doesn't put it together. If he was the underdog, you could talk yourself into it. As a favorite, you just can't. Antonio Arroyo, honestly, I didn't think Antonio Arroyo looked bad on Contender Series, where he fought twice, Diego Henrique, the first time on Brazilian Contender Series. 
and then he got a, a full-on one against Steven Ragman, submitted him. Jiu-Jitsu looked good. Striking looked good. Him against Andre Muniz, I think he was a slight favorite. It was an even-money fight. It was an even-money fight. He's plus 100. It's like, man, there's levels to jiu-jitsu. It's like, yeah, he looked lost. And as far as his striking goes, like when the fight was striking, he was just so hesitant to let it go. In this fight, I think he's going to be a little less hesitant. Like he should throw more than Eric Anders. I give the power advantage to Anders. I don't see this fight hitting the ground. I can see An- Eric Anders having some success holding him up against the cage, making this a little bit grindy. But honestly, this is a fight that I'd like to say just goes the distance. But like one guy could catch the other guy, sure. Anders is actually really durable. I don't think Arroyo knocks him out. Uh, Anders could knock out Arroyo, but he'd have to let his hands go in order to do that. He just doesn't do it. So truthfully, I got the overs on this fight. I got fight going the distance. I got the plus one and a half, all that. Uh, as far as a straight pick on it, like I just I don't feel comfortable either way. On the PRP, I would be inclined to put Eric Anders. But like as far as a straight up bet goes, pass. Pass would be the move. Over two and a half rounds, minus 160. Not is even a good the... price, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's not that bad, is it? Yeah, they, they're both decision guys, it seems like. Eric Andrews doesn't get submitted, right? And Antonio Arroyo's best finishes are with his grappling. So keep that in mind for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, we got uh, Sean Strickland taking on Brendan Allen. Both of these guys added to the card super, super late. Uh, Brendan Allen obviously was supposed to take on Ian Heinish last week. Uh, Ian Heinish gets COVID, pulled out of the card. Strickland we saw a couple weeks ago. Taking on Jack Marshman, it was his return fight after like massive surgery and all of that. I thought he did. He fought the smart fight. He kind of fought at range, uh, used his uh, significant like reach advantage and like you know being able to punch at the end of his punches. But and I think it was a good like welcome back to the UFC uh, spot there. Um, I'm inclined to uh, to roll with Brendan Allen here. Both of these guys, like, in terms of like you know, Strickland used to be a 175 or 170 pound fighter fighting in the welterweight division. Um, he hasn't really quite put on like the mus- muscle or bulk, but they're bo- these guys are basically the same size. Um, without getting too too deep into this one, I'm leaning towards Brendan Allen here. Um, hopefully he can get the takedowns. We didn't see Strickland defend any takedowns against Marshman because that's not how Marshman rolls. But I didn't love what I saw from Strickland, who was like a minus 300 favorite against what should have been a pretty easy fight for him there. Uh, Brandon Allen, the pick, is is the pick right now. I'm going to watch uh, the weigh-ins and maybe get a better get better read on this. Obviously, Allen was... Did he did he have to cut weight last week? Like, did he get down to to weight, or was that called? Yeah, well, there was. It, yeah, no. I no, mean, no. The there's, yeah, before, they, so. they, they had the stare down. So yeah, yeah. And you so know he had he to get down to 185, balloon up a little bit, get another fight, and then, then cut down. So yeah, it's risky biz. But uh, Brennan Allen is the pick right now. What's your take here? Yeah, so Brennan Allen is gonna be the naturally bigger guy, I think, in that he was a middleweight to begin with, whereas Sean Strickland has campaigned largely at 170 pounds. Sean Strickland coming up to 185, one has to wonder he wasn't gonna be a really big middleweight, but to now be taking a catchweight of 195, like surely yeah. that doesn't favor towards Sean Strickland, right? Um, Brandon Allen's six foot two, 75 inch reach, like he's filled into this frame. I think his I think his MMA debut was 170, but he was like. 19 years old so like he's really filled I out i didn't say the catch weight now. i made the graphics that say catch weight 195 i knew that i just didn't i lost it in the moment there cody 
No, no, it's it's all good, man. I just think like the naturally larger man is going to be Brandon Allen. That's mm-hmm. going to be a good advantage for him. Sean Strickland, I can see the the case for making a short turnaround. Didn't really take any damage against Jack Marshman. He had come off such a long layoff that financially it makes sense to take a quick turnaround. And obviously, if you're not injured, uh, if you're not injured, sorry, it makes sense to make a quick turnaround. I get him jumping into that, but you got to think that a 195 pound catch weight would favor uh, Brandon Allen. With Brandon Allen, I'm just not 100 sure on his path of victory here over, over Sean Strickland. If it stays stand-up, he's not going to outstrike Sean Strickland simply on the basis that he's too wild, he's too open to get hit, he's not really much of a counterpuncher, and he's just he's not a guy that strike for a prolonged period of time. He likes to strike long enough to get the fight to the ground. You look at his contender series fight against Aaron Jeffries, he got outstruck by Aaron Jeffries, but he, he's able to knock him down, he's able to get him to the ground, and then he submits him. Against Kevin Holland, he got outstruck against Kevin Holland. But he, good thing he submitted him when he did, because, I mean, he started to get tired in that fight. You saw the cardio falling off. With Tom Breeze, it's like that's his career performance coming up there and knocking out Tom Breeze. But, you know, you, you, you can talk, you know, day and night about Tom Breeze and his mental state and this and that. And Brandon Allen got the jump on him. It's a good win. Feather in his cap, not taking away from him. That's the best he's ever looked. But to go from the best you've ever looked to that fight against Kyle, Kyle Doukas, see, that's a problem to me. It's a problem because guys, and I've heard a couple of people mention it, gee, Sean Strickland was a 3-1 to one favorite over Jack Marshman. Couldn't even put him away. Didn't even look all that good. Like, well, Kyle Allen was a three-to-one favorite over Kyle Dokus and failed to put him away and didn't look all that good. In fact, in the third round, he got tired. He got taken down three times by Kyle Dokus. It wasn't exactly a great performance. So, so this is where I'm, I'm struggling to find his, his key to victory here over, over Sean Strickland is that as far as his wrestling goes, like, yeah, he's got to get this fight to the ground, but Sean Strickland's wrestling takedown defense has been really good. Not only has he been at Dan Henderson's gym for the last five years, He's been taken down once in the last three. 2017 is against Kamaru Usman. And Kamaru Usman went two and eight in takedowns against him. Prior to that, he got taken down by Alex Garcia. Do yourself a favor if you don't know who Alex Garcia is. I'm sure if you listen to our show, you do. But if you don't, just Google images him. Check out them tits on Alex Garcia, them pecs, and tell me that man can't take down whoever he wants because he can. Real strong. Terrible gas tank, which is why Sean Strickland knocks him out in the third. Mm-hmm. But it's like taking him down as a, as a task, man. And Brendan Allen's going to have to rely on taking this man down. Brendan Allen doesn't take him down. What's going to happen is it's going to be a stand-up battle. And we saw, we saw with Sean Strickland is he doesn't care about the knockout. It's just technical, stay on the outside, bang, bang, bang. He lands over 100 significant strikes on Marshman. He's having fun. He's feeling loose. He's talking shit. Jack, go down, Jack. He's smiling. He's laughing. That's a breath of fresh air for a guy that was in a motorcycle accident who blew out his knee, who's been sitting on the sideline for two years. He's got no ring time. He's got, he's got no experience in there over the last many, many months to go out there and feel loose and feel limber and just tee off on this guy and get the win and then take a quick turnaround. That's all well and good. So the reason why I'm going to take him is he's the underdog. And, and, and I like that as an underdog spot for him is that. Who's the underdog? Sorry. Was it a slight? Is it's it a slight? pick it's a pick Yeah, you're right. You're right. It is a pick It's a pick as it stands now. I'm just going to lean towards Sean Strickland on the basis of I don't think Brendan Allen goes out there and takes him down uh, consistently for three rounds. If Brendan Allen goes out there with the game plan of wrestle, 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 he's going to gas out. Why? Because we've seen him try to wrestle, wrestle, wrestle against Kevin Holland. He gassed out. We've seen him in a quick pace against Kyle Dukas. Cardio didn't look good. He's still only 24. He's still learning. And you know something? Sean Strickland was that age one time too. And he was fighting in the UFC. And he was in the bright lights as a big favorite. And he was bumming it up. Because you have to learn those mistakes. Sean Strickland has. He's a little more developed. The three rounds against Marshman just gets his feet wet. It's a very winnable fight. That's great. But at least it gets the confidence going. That's what he needs. He needs the confidence going. Carry that through to this fight against Allen. It'd be a good first round. Hopefully Sean Strickland's able to pull out in two and three. And it should be on the basis of 
keep the fight standing, sprawl and brawl, and, and just like land the more the better shots and more of them, better volume on Brandon Allen. So yes. listen, they, this fight's 50-50. They got a line 50-50. It's a very close fight. I can't discredit either guy. I like both guys. I think this is similar to the last fight, Kay Hansen and, and Corey McKenna, where you're giving two young prospects, you're putting two young prospects in there against each other. One of them's got to sink, one of them's got to swim. They all got bright futures. In this case, I think Sean Strickland's just a little more polished and he'll uh, get the decision victory over Allen. Strickland was putting in time with uh, with Magomed Ankalaev before Ankalaev's last fight, too. So I'm sure that he was, he's been working on that wrestling defense. I would like to have seen, like, we didn't see it, obviously. He was taking on Jack Marshman in his last fight. Um, but, yeah, you're, you're right. Historically, he's been pretty good uh, with uh, takedown defense. Um, I, I don't know. I, I've, I think I've been wrong on every single Brendan Allen fight, so... Uh, so, yeah, probably just a spot for me to avoid, to be perfectly honest. So I, I'll, I will be watching live. All right, we got Miranda Granger taking on Ashley Yotter. Uh, Miranda Granger, minus 140 favorite. Yotter, plus 120. You got any leans here? Okay, so lean towards the dog again, actually, on this one. Uh, Miranda Granger has, I, I don't know, what is she? what is she shown that we're high up on so far? I mean, this is somebody that comes to the UFC on, she had beaten good Invicta level competition prior to the UFC. She's got wins over Jamie Thorne. She's got wins over Amy Montenegro, Jamie Colleen. Those are actually good little wins, no doubt. Probably most people haven't heard of them, but they're good little wins. And she gets those done on the basis of some lackluster grappling, like gets these fights to the ground. She's not that big of a submission threat, but she has her ways over this lesser talent. She comes to the UFC against Hannah Goldie. This fight was extremely difficult to watch live. This fight was even worse to watch again because I obviously had to retape study it, and it's like neither girl should be in the UFC, Hannah Goldie especially. She is so stiff, robotic, rigid, doesn't have a plan B, looks very lost, very green. Don't know why the UFC signed them, but, hey, we need talent in this division. That's fine. And Miranda Granger is the rightful winner. She gets the win. Doesn't look great in that fight, but gets the win. The Amanda Lemos fight, no problem. Lemos is legit, no problem. But again, you see someone, she's got a very, very high guard. Both the Goldie fight and the Lemos fight, it's like really, really high. If you want to cook her to the body, you could. If you want to take her down, you could. She's just got this really high guard on her. Goldie Goldie has no guard on her. So, I mean, like she gets away with it there. Against some of these other comp- the other girls, like she gets away with it. Against Lemos, Lemos just spots that first takedown and takes her down. When she does take her down, it's like she has her way with her. She's able to easily pass. And she actually chokes her out unconscious. Ref doesn't tap, doesn't have time tap. Ref doesn't even notice right away. Chokes her out unconscious with a no hook rear naked choke. No hooks, rear naked choke. Just got a hold of her neck and choke. Hey, Lemos is legit, no doubt about it. But here's the problem with Ashley Yodder. First of all, this is not someone who's one and one in the UFC having beaten, beaten Hannah Goldie and a legit loss to Lemos. It's like, here's someone who has a resume that involves Justin Keish, Angela Hill, Mackenzie Dern, Ronda Marcos, Livion Souza. She's fought a lot of the division's top. Putting her away, good luck. Because all those girls I mentioned didn't put her away. She's very, very, very durable. But she's a grappler and she's a wrestler. She's another one of these girls that's at Dan Henderson's camp. She spent some time along Sean Strickland. Whereas when you're matching her against Livion Souza, she doesn't have the grappling chops to consistently take her down, but she can't stand with her. That's going to be the big issue here. In that fight, actually, her striking looked much improved, but she loses the fight. Good fight, close fight, but loses. Ronda Marcos for wrestling is comparable to Marcos, not quite as polished, and her striking is not quite as good, not as polished. Close fight, split decision, close fight. It's like, yeah, she's an okay wrestler, she's an okay striker, but they match her up against girls that are just way better than her in one of those dimensions or pretty close in both. Mm-hmm. When I think Granger, it's like, you know what? Granger is going to be a better striker, no doubt about that. But, like, by how much? 
Is she that good of a striker that she's going to knock out Yotter? No, no, nobody's knocking out Yotter. She's fought girls like Angela Hill. You're not knocking her out. Well, is she going to be able to grab with Yotter? Like, no, I'm, I'm actually giving the advantage to the brown belt, Ashley Yotter, in this case. Well, what about the takedown defense? That's the key. If she stuffs the takedown, she outstrikes Yotter standing. I agree. If she gets taken down, Yotter's going to win this fight. So how does the takedown defense? Well, like, I can't really tell you because you haven't seen enough of it, but going back to the Lemos fight, her guard is so high that when you want to take her down, you do take her down. So this is really key to me here is that Yotter's 33. Yeah, she's at Dan Henderson's, you know, the old team quest. Yeah, she's trying to grind and she's trying to make those improvements, but the improvements aren't really there. You know, Granger, is she going to be something in this, in this division? You know, she's only 28. She makes so many mistakes on the regional scene. When is she going to tie it together? But you know what? She changed at Charlie's Combat Club. I never heard of it. When I looked it up, nobody's fighting out of the gym. When I looked to see if she was at least like branching off and going other places. Is it no. her garage or something? Charlie's Combat Club. No. I mean, like, I mean, there are people at it, here. I'm looking at it right here, but. Okay, so you, you see you see the first guy, Buck Slick Buck Sally Crumlack or Crumdiac? Yeah, yeah she, she actually fought in Cage Warriors against uh, Joanna Calderwood. I remember her from back you in the know. day. But but what I'm saying here is Buck Buck Henry, right, hasn't fought since 2012. You see that on the record? Sally yeah. Crumdiac hasn't fought since 2013. Then Granger's the best. This Tyson Lynn guy, I mean, he at least fought this year, but he's 7-4. He's and four. I don't know, man. And she teaches like women's fitness classes and she's teaching like she's got this like, you know, lose fat boot camp. You go on her Instagram. It's like her and these 300 pound guys she's helping get in shape. It's like, I don't know that she's making the necessary improvements to compete Fair. in the UFC. Could she defeat the Hannah Goldies of the world? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. The Yoder, Yoder, maybe, but. Maybe, maybe, but as a favorite, I'm not willing to take the chance. So that, that uh, this is a dogger pass. This is a dogger pass, bro. Uh, moving on down the card. Next one up, we have. Where are the odds here? All right, we got uh, Alex Morono taking on Reese McKee. Morono minus one ninety favorite. McKee plus one sixty five. Here's a general rule of thumb: Alex Morono being a favorite with his chin issues, and anybody on the other side who has delivered knockouts to people, you can't get on board with that. Am I? Am I wrong? Am I? Or am I right there, Cody? Yeah, yeah, again, he's just so untrustworthy. Dogger pass, in my, my opinion, here. I know Reese McKee went out there against uh, Chamayev, got absolutely mollywopped, but so would Alex Morono if he had to take yeah. on uh, Hamza Chamayev. So I remember when he took, when McKee took on Hamza, you were just like, horrible spot for Reese McKee here. But I like his his upside moving forward. Maybe you've changed your opinion on that, but I think this is dogger pass here. I can't trust a minus 190 Alex Morono uh, really against anybody with any semblance of power. If, if, if you go through uh, McKee's record and stuff, he's, he's knocked out some half-decent guys on the British regional scene. Um, yeah, no, I can't. You can't touch Alex Morono as a sizable favorite with what we've seen, like he doesn't, it doesn't, he may be more technically sound. He could win this fight by decision, all of that. But I mean, Chaos Williams, who is insanely green, just rolled out there, just barged through his punches and absolutely just trucked him when they, when they fought, uh, you know, last fight there. Uh, Reese McKee for me, uh, dogger pass. What about you? 
Yeah, so I feel you in many regards. You know, it's funny how narrative works sometimes. So Riz McKee's getting ready to take on Kazmat Chmaev, and people are like, dude, Riz McKee's got seven knockout wins and, and his 10 career victories, seven knockouts, most of them coming in the first round. This guy can crack. Kazmat better watch his P's and Q's, man. Better not stand with this guy. Riz can crack. Just the fight hits the ground so fast. Mm-hmm. Anyways, now he's taking on Alex Morono, and it's like, no one's talking about Reese can crack. Like, like Alex Verona can't take the punch. We're talking about Kazmat Chimaev where you're wondering, can he take the punch? Now we're talking about Morona and we got him line as a, as a two to one favorite. Like, yeah, no, I'm definitely not feeling that. Not only is Ricky, uh, Reese McKee, one of these guys that's really tricky. Like he's got 10 pro wins. He's finished all 10 pro, uh, all 10 pro wins. He's got the seven knockouts. He's also got three submissions. Part of it is like, that's what helps him is that he goes for it. He's tricky. He can get you out of there. Part of it's like, I'd like to see him, sit back a little bit and maybe go in some of those deeper rounds. Morono, if you don't take him out of there, like he has been, you know, some rounds, that's fine. But, uh, but yeah, one key that, that like you're talking about, like, geez, dog or pass Morono, maybe can't take it. Morono's not a very big welterweight. He's 5'11 with a 72 inch reach, right? Mm-hmm. When he takes on these bigger guys that stand their ground, they usually get to him. Reason McKee's six foot two with a 78 inch reach mm-hmm. is a six inch reach advantage and a three inch height advantage. Not only that, he can crack. So here's a big problem for Alex Morono. Alex Morono is not going to be able to strike with them from the outside. So he's going to have to crash the pocket. And what happens when Alex Morono crashes the pocket? He, he usually gets night, clipped. Night. Yeah, when he gets clipped, it's not good. You know, he's also a BJJ black belt, but I've never seen someone so shocked as you the time I told you that. It was just like, what? Like, mm-hmm. when? Why doesn't he even try to get the fight to the ground? It's like, I don't know. When he does get the fight to the ground, like the Max Griffin fight, let's say, it's like he doesn't even try to submit these guys. I don't know where that black belt's at. I don't. But they've done a good job of matching them pretty fair in the UFC. That win over Max Griffin, that looks good. If you rewatch that fight, there's a very, very, very strong argument that he lost the first two rounds to Griffin. Or certainly not the first two, but he lost the third and could have lost the fight to Griffin. His other win, Zach Addo, Song Kanong, not exactly the highest level of victory. But Alex Morano is serviceable. He's going to go out there. He's going to wing punches. He's got Technically, he's got a BJJ black belt. The fight does hit the ground. But one thing is... He's got very, very, very questionable ring IQ. And what has been screwing us in these parlay spots the last couple of weeks was ring IQ. Tanner Bozer fought a very, very poor game plan. Bobby Green fought a very poor game plan. They had the skills to win those fights. They fought poor game plans. They were two, three to one favorites. People felt comfortable with them. Great. Morono is, you know, he's not quite a three to one favorite in the spot, but just betting him as a favorite over most guys, I'm not feeling it. And with Reese McKee, it's so easy to be like, oh, he got clowned easy by Chimaev. That like you're writing him off. What he got is to learn something against Chimaev. One, he's not on that level. Also, he got to make the ring walk. He got to hear his music. He got to see the bright lights. He got to, to deal with fight week. He got to sign the, the poster. You know what I mean? Like you get you get all that under your belt. You're going to feel a little calmer in this spot. Mm-hmm. Now I got Morono not, figures to not want to take you down. Now you can let us see what you're made out of. And what's he made out of? Stance to the outside. Good long-rangey striker. Got good power. Last thing I want to mention is you actually nailed it yourself. You say he's got wins over good British regional scene guys. Dude, you're 100% right. Akon Foss, Perry Goodwin, uh, Tim Barrett, Jay Herbert. You, what most of those guys have in common is I get it. Most guys haven't heard of them. But they're good British regional scene guys, and he dispatched them within one round apiece. He's got cracking power. Yeah, he's, he's definitely KO a live dog. He's a live dog. Yeah, yeah. And then the last thing here is that I, I just KO love KO plus 450. I'm yeah, you gotta love these. You gotta love these spots where it's like, um, in, in quite literally his last fight, Alex Morono is a four to one favorite over Chaos Williams. Four to one. 
knocked out in 27 seconds. And yet they try to feed you him as a two to one, uh, as a sizable favorite his next time out. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing with Rob Dula, Zach and Sam, we talked about earlier. This guy blows it as a big favorite. And yet they want to try to sell you him again as a big favorite. Before the show started, you said, this is a dogger pass week. I like a lot of these dog spots. You're not wrong. You're not it's wrong. Dog week. And I'm, just I'm liking that past- you're, you're making yeah, me yeah. feel better. Cause I looked up and down this card and I was just like, Nope, not paying that price. Nope, not paying that price. Like maybe some of these spots, it's like 50-50, but you're going to give me a 50-50 for, you know, uh, as if it's uh, 60-4 years, a 10% edge in some of these spots. And honestly, I think, I fuck, like some of these spots, like I think like it's the wrong favorite. No, I agree. If you took six of these underdogs and you bet them all together, not on the same ticket, but I mean individually, and three of them were to win because of the plus money, you'd be good on the night. Exactly. But I'm looking at it like there's at least six underdogs that got a very solid shot at victory. Your parlays this week should be very Juiced. juicy. Juice. Dead early or just juice? Juicy in the good way, not like we're paying yeah. the juice. All yeah, right. yeah, exa- exactly. I'm starting to get fired up about this. All right, next one. We've got... Uh, Luis Smolka taking on Jose Quinones. Smolka is a minus one thirty-five favorite. Quinones plus one fifteen. Yeah, I saw Jose Quinones has been putting in time with Brandon Moreno this camp because they're in Mexico. Maybe it has to do with like visa visa issues or something like that. They're not over in the U.S. Uh, Teco's uh, done some uh, some work at like AKA before and. Moreno, I want to say, what he was at like Elevation Fight Team, and yeah, is that where he's doing most of his time recently. Well, yeah. they they they're both back at like Entram uh, Gym in uh, in Mexico, Mexico right now, and I mean you go through the you go through the uh, the history of Luis Smolka fights. Luis Smolka, super super slick grappler. Maybe he gets the job done here. Maybe maybe he makes it look easy. But I mean, putting in the time, it seems like they're working on that camp together moreno's getting ready for his own uh big fight coming up name uh, escapes me right now who's who's uh brandon moreno taking on next time out it's coming up real soon i believe sorry just give me one second here smoke uh, just have brandon to go into smoko see that he got yeah brandon royval hey he's taking on royval uh ufc 255 coming up so he's getting ready for camp and it seems like they're doing it in mexico i'm like well what what better person to kind of give you a a feel for what smolka can uh can give them than than the rising brandon moreno right now i think i like jose canones in this spot smolka has been super super slick over the years but he puts himself in like horrible big mistake situations and on the feet honestly give me uh the the natural boxer in canonas i think uh canonas plus 115 i'm surprised this line sh- yeah i think canonas is actually the rightful favorite in this spot what about you yeah yeah uh this is currently line as a slight favorite for lewis smoke no i know and i so- think i think canonas should be the favorite in this spot. oh yeah okay no i was just gonna agree i think this is another dogger pass situation with smolka there's two things with smolka one it's hard to get a read on him He's a 50-50 fighter. 50% of the time he shows up, woohoo, looks pretty good. 50% of the time he shows up, wow, not looking good. Now, that was attributed back in the day to the fact that he had alcoholism. You know, I mean, he was mentioning the fact that he was a single father. He's trying to raise his daughter. He's got a drinking problem. Mm -hmm. And his last, he goes on a four-fight losing streak in the UFC, capped off by losing as a minus 500, 5-1 favorite over 
Brandon Moreno. That's what capped it off for him. That's what started it. So yeah, Quinones is a good company. But once he got released from the UFC due to that, it's like he went to the regional scene. He beat a lot of lower level guys other than Kyle Estrada, was looking better, got sober, came to the UFC. And then the jump for him between 125 and 135, that's like been it. That's been like a total deal breaker, in my opinion. Like at 125, his wrestling's not very long. good. He had certain intent, yeah. The size exactly. was, a, was a big advantage for him. He was super long and rangy. So this, the fact that he doesn't have too, too much power in his strikes, well, it was mitigated by the fact that like he had a considerable like longer reach, longer legs, and he was able to use those tools to his advantage against all of these opponents at 125. Yeah, that's exactly it. Is that like everything worked better for him, right? Because his, his reach is only 68 inches, but because he's fighting flyweights, it's like that's more than enough. And standing five foot nine, like they're punching upwards, he's punching down. And so his his technical boxing, he got away with it. His kicks, he'd get away with it. You don't even have to kick too high to get these guys. His wrestling, not very good. I think he's only got a high school wrestling base. But because he's such a larger man in there, he's got the leverage, he peels them to the ground. And when he gets on top of you, that's when Lewis Smoke is at his best. That's when he can, you know, flow freely on guys, got a good top game, good ground and pound, sets up his submissions. That's where he's at his best. Coming up to 135, his debut against uh, Suma Jerry, that's his return to the UFC. That's his 135 debut. He gets the win, two takedowns and a submission victory with Suma Jerry. He cries, I'm back. Thank you so much for my opportunity. Fights Matt Schnell. He's the favorite. He gets submitted. Eh, it was a triangle he never saw coming. You write him a pass. He's a grappler, but he got submitted. No problem. You write them the pass. Ryan McDonald fight. Whoa. Ryan McDonald for real, dog. Like, my that was, God. That was ugly, wasn't it? My God. What were they thinking bringing in Ryan McDonald? Anyways, you get the win. Good win for Smolka. And then the Casey Kinney fight, it's just like, again, he's outclassed. He just tossed to the ground by a 35er, and he gets submitted very relatively quickly by a 35er. It's like, where does he go beyond from here? Quinones, it's a winnable fight for him. I see his path to victory. He needs to get mm. Quinones to the ground. If he gets Quinones to the ground, he should be able to style on him. The problem is, is that I don't, I'm not sold on his wrestling at 135 pounds. And to go out there and just assume he's going to take down Quinones, like, Quinones has been fighting a lot bigger guys. Uh, as you mentioned, being with Brandon Moreno, like, Moreno's a, a better wrestler. It, it, than a small cut like you just got to grind 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 like keep this Smoka's... as a striking battle and if you do he could defeat him i don't like smoker's gas tank at at really any weight class either to be perfectly honest but i mean the guy hasn't been to decision since that run at flyweight uh what three four years ago yeah yeah and then uh not only was like that run three four years ago but it's like his vol his punching volume was never good his punching power was never good but you mind you put the punching with the grappling and the size, and he's winning these fights. At one thirty-five, like it's a it's a tough spot. Now Quinones hasn't been looking especially great, but they're giving him guys like Sean O'Malley and Nathaniel Wood that are just way too fast, way too athletic, sharp power punchers from the outside that are just intercepting him, and they're young and they're they're on their way up. Like Lewis Smolka is not young anymore. Well, I mean he's twenty-nine. He's my age. I don't feel young. Uh, but I just mean like now is the time where Smoke has got to be a polished, refined version of himself. And yet fight to fight, there's a lot of these like, oops, oops. Now, mind you, he's getting caught in submissions. Quinones doesn't got the submissions to, to throw up on him. But if Quinones just uses his, his takedown defense to keep this fight standing, I think he does out chip him, chip him away, win the decision. I got this fight more so than anything going to decision. Um, Ooh, but yeah, yeah, I think I... I it's risky with Smolka. I don't think he gets finished because he's not getting knocked out ever. He's getting submitted, but Quinones is not submitting. It. And Fair. as far as him finishing Quinones, he doesn't have the punching power to knock out Quinones, which is what everybody else is doing. Could he submit him? Yes. If I'm going to get screwed and it's an under, 
it's going to be a smoke of submission. But as you and I are talking about, I actually kind of lean towards a Kinona's decision in this spot. And so for that reason, I'm going to lean towards a, another dogger pass situation. Kanako Murata takes on Ronda Marcos. Murata, minus 175 favorite. Marcos, plus 155. Any takes here? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's women's MMA. Could this be the one that costs us? Yeah, most definitely. Kanako Murata, though, she uh, wrestled in the Olympics for mm -hmm. Japan. Um, she's pretty good. She's actually got a win over the gold medalist from that year as well. So she's in really good company as far as her wrestling goes. She's only 27 years old, makes the transition. I've seen a lot of Olympic gold medalist athletes from Japan, whether it be judo or wrestling, try to make the transition MMA, not go good. But it seems like she's definitely uh, putting the pieces together. Now, she's a work in progress, no doubt about it. Her only loss on her career is against Rin Nakai. Obviously, you remember oh, Rin Nakai. Boy. You know, that's it's, it's an interesting five spot. Five years because, ago, she's 22, yes, yeah. just making her, you know, just getting into it, gets choked. Yeah, and also Rin Nakai at this point has got 22 pro fights. She's fought in the UFC. She's fought in girls like Misha Tate, and she's a bodybuilder. She's mm -hmm. like five feet tall and so jacked. So jacked. And the Yakuza has like a 35% stake in her. So, <laughs> you know, be, so who knows beating her in really Japan, happened, beating her in Japan ain't fucking happening. Right. Mm -hmm. So the, beyond that, it's like, she's fought really like questionable competition in that uh, the pancreas fights were low level. Lachlan green, not bad, but she's a pure striker. So she gets taken out. She gets submitted. Angela Magana. It's like, come on, takes her down smits her. No problem. She takes down a lot of these girls smits them. The Emily Ducote fight. That is very interesting. Because Ducote actually matches up very well against Randa Marcos. You know, she's a grindy wrestler out of Oklahoma, likes to keep the fight standing. Or sorry, likes to try to grind you, take you down. If she, if she can't, plods forward, throws punches. You know, is not sharp, is not long, but is just gritty, is durable. That's a good fight. That's a good gut check. That also lets you know Murata's human. She's not just going down, taking down whoever she wants, whenever she wants, and submitting them, having her way. But that's what she needs. It's a five-round fight for the Invicta title. Uh, she, she got that work in, she got that experience in, and ultimately she was getting the takedowns in against Ducote. I think that's exactly what's going to happen against Ronda Marcos. Ronda Marcos, when the fight is standing, has the improvements. He's a better striker. Like Ronda Marcos doesn't really throw more than a handful of strikes, right? She usually just loads up on the right hand, stays to the outside. The jab's there. Everything's cocked. She's just not throwing all that much. When she does throw, yeah, she throws some conviction, but it was like the last time Ronda Marcos knocked out an opponent, was never. <laughs> so is she going to go out there and knock her out with the one punch she throws? Nah, nah, that's not going to happen. Is she going to go and take down the, the Olympian? No, no, that's also not going to happen. So what I honestly think is like, she catch Murata her in a just, submission while they're on the ground. Could huh. she catch her in a submission if she was on top? Potentially. Yeah. Could she submit her off her back? No, no, I, okay. I really don't think so. So I think, I think Murata just no like strikes with her in spots. No. Strikes with her in spots, strikes with her in spots, strikes with her in spots, get that takedown. And when she does get the takedown, Ronda Marcos, Ronda Marcos doesn't do a great job of fighting her way back up to her feet. We see Mackenzie Dern take it down. That's Dern. Let's let's write her off on that one. Rebus, Claudia Gadelia, uh, some of these other spots where she gets taken down. She's not exactly one to just get up easily. If she does get up, hopefully Murata's just able to keep taking her down. And then if you say, well, geez, if Murata's just taking her down and she's getting back up and she's really like, She's going to get tired. It's like, yeah, we'll see. She weighs 115 pounds. So like getting tired over three rounds doesn't generally happen all that often. And she just fought five. So yeah, I, I honestly think that this is a spot where Murata, I'm nervous that Marcos has one or sorry, Marcos uh, has 20 fights in the UFC that she's a, not 20 fights. in the UFC, You know what I'm saying? She had like 14, 15 fights in the UFC. Whereas Murata is making her debut like that. That makes me question some things. 
Marcus has got wins over the best girls in the division. She's got losses to the best girls in the division. She's fought a who's who. Like, that all does make me worried. Experience is definitely counts for something. But experience counts for something. Like, I submitted that young prospect. I knocked out that young prospect. You caught them with something. You, you showed them something. And if not that, you need, like, a Bozer Arlovsky where she just gets really, really, like, barrel shy and just stares there and just allows it to happen. And if, even if that was to happen, I don't know that Marcus pulls away with striking output like she just doesn't do it so anyways i got murata i think murata also uh wins the fight by decision i mean marcus is durable enough uh doesn't really get finished by a whole lot murata's mostly got that wrestling type game plan so sign me up for that and we always used to talk about the kurt or it was like a win loss win loss win loss for marcus that's officially been killed during some editor that's over and now we might be starting to see the three four fight losing streak out of marcos depending on how they match her up this is not a favorable matchup for her. and so for that reason i'm going to take a kanako murata by decision uh tony gravely takes on a geraldo de freitas minus 150 gravely plus 130 de freitas you got a uh, hard lean here i see gravely is uh working at att at least for this camp um i haven't done any tape on this one i'm not gonna lie yeah, yeah, no problem. I, I'm a Tony Gravely kind of guy. I honestly think that he can win a lot of fights in the UFC depending on how they match him up. If you want to know kind of like uh, Miles John from a few weeks back, Tony Gravely, very similar. These are guys that can wrestle. They're very good in the scramble. They can strike. The problem is, is that Gravely, as much as you know, he's a former collegiate wrestler himself, he's not going to wrestle against the best wrestlers in the division. He's not going to strike against the best strikers in the division. He needs to be able to mix and match that game where he needs fit. But he's got skills in every one aspect. That's going to help him out. When you see his run in the regional scene, it's like this is a he's fought an absolute who's who on the regional scene. Pat Sabatini, Ricky Bandanes, Marab Dabashvili, Manny Bermudez, Patchy Mix. Mm-hmm. All those guys are UF and Brett Johns in the UFC. They're all UFC veterans or Bellator veterans that went to a high level. All of his losses are to absolute bona fide studs. As far as his win goes, he's beaten a lot of good guys as well. Draco Rodriguez. Um, so Cody Norby was a former collegiate wrestler. These guys are the lower level guys. How is he going to make that transition to the UFC? Tough, tough. But if they give him these lower level guys, I think he should be able to, to shine. Draw the Freitas, it's nothing against him. It's that I think that the way that Gravely matches up again, he's going to have the wrestling advantage. Does Gravely want to go out there and take down Draw the Freitas all the time? No. But he can use the wrestling to keep the fight standing, outpoint him, and then take him down hopefully near the end of the round to secure the rounds. He's just a little bit quicker, a little bit more agile. Uh, better wrestler striking i don't want to say he's the much better striker but he's quicker he's more compact and i just want him to strike long enough in spots to take him down defreitas is also probably going to try to take down gravely i think gravely stuffs him as far as the fight does hit in the ground gravely is a good grappler as well so i don't think i'm getting submitted against draw the off his back i'd like to tape study this fight more i think that gravely is a, a a very you know i think him lined at 150 makes a lot of sense i like him on minus 150 he's gonna pick a minus 150 but i can't completely write draw the defreitas off as well so uh, I'll, I'll be tape signing this one more, but the pick is for me is Gravely. And gravely by decision. Finally, we got Dante Mays taking on Rocky Martinez. Mays, minus 225 favorite. Martinez, plus 185. I mean, you don't make money long-term betting Dante Mays, minus 225 against just about anybody, Cody. Um, I watched a little bit of, like, cause I saw this number. I was startled. I was, frankly, I was like mortified looking, looking at 
Dante Omez is a minus 225 uh, favorite. Rewatched the Rock Mar- Martinez versus our boy Romanov, and, and boy, it wasn't pretty. He came in on short notice there. I don't think that this is any sort of high-level talent. This is, the lo- this is basically the lowest level of the heavyweight division that we've got going uh, right now. Uh, I think Alan, Alan Crowder, our boy, is gone now. So uh, or who was, who was that? Smelly Jackoff as well. He's no, he's no longer around. So uh, this is what we've got. I went back and watched Rocky Martinez versus uh, Jerome LeBanner. He's like, you know, old kickboxer. And uh, that was bullshit. Boy, was it ugly. But he gets like this fat man choke on him. And Dante Omez, you watch a bunch of his fights. This guy gives you opportunities to get the fight to the ground. This is super sick. And I wish these cowardly books would open up more odds this week. Because I have been looking for it. And there's only one book out there that actually has it. And they've got it at uh, 8 to 1. But Rocky Martinez, by submission, 8 to 1. Is like my YOLO bet of the week. Uh, do I love it? No. Do either one of these guys really belong at this level? No. Is it eight to one by submission with a guy who has had, had submissions against Dante Mays? Who will like he'll throw like a stupid like flying knee or something that has no chance of landing and fall flat on his back. We don't even necessarily need the takedown. Is there like a ten percent chance of it coming through? Probably. Uh, maybe even more. I mean, like at, at plus 800, we're looking at like 11% chance. I wouldn't be shocked if it's like two of 10 is the, is the result there. And maybe, maybe, maybe I'm underestimating Maze's ground game, but nothing has that I've seen is leads me to believe that. I would skip on like trying to bet this one straight up, find a greasy prop. But unfortunately, yeah, there's only one book out there. That has that number. I've I've been waiting. I want to get like a ten to one in this spot, and maybe I jump on board. Uh, wh- where are you at on this one? Yeah, I mean, it's just really hard to gauge where Roque Martinez is at because as much as you can look at like the stuff he did prior to coming to the UFC, you can't get a good read off any of it. He was a freak show fighter. Mm-hmm. He was a freak show fighter in Japan, designed to show up, put on one hell of a show for the for the Japanese crowd. And that's what he did. I mean, he's five foot 10, 300 or 265 pounds. I was surprised he came into his last his UFC debut at 258. That was the slimmest he's ever been. But like, man, he's there to fight specifically one type of fighter. And that's an aged kickboxer. You look at his whole record, right? But man, super like- interesting here. JD, JD Psy, the former kickboxer, K1 kickboxer out of India. Yeah, he defeated him. Jerome LeBanner. That was an interesting one you brought up. Jerome LeBanner was 44 years old former French kickboxing champion. Mirka Krokop was also 44 years old, a Croatian kickboxing champion. He lost that fight. Uh, how about that last fight against Hideki Sakine before he got signed to the UFC? Sakine's 47 years old. Mizuguchi, yeah, he's in his late 30s. He's also got a record of 14 wins and 17 losses. His other his wins over 8 and 8, 11 and 10. The, 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 the 8 and 3 opponent, Sakine, that's the fight before the UFC, he's, he's 46 years old. And look at him. He's... Got no knees. He's on the most amount of PEDs you've ever seen, but not in a good way. It's like Roque Martinez has really fought the absolute bottom of the barrel and managed to scrape up a 50-50 record in that time. And yet he's fighting Dante Mays, who you mentioned 
<clears throat> about Alan Crowder being the worst guy in the UFC. Alan Crowder's beaten Dante Mays on the Contender Series. Like he wasn't exactly. even able to get a contract. Like, like my God, that was eight low to level. one by submission, Cody. Here's the one thing with uh, Rocky Martinez is that got, the one time he's got oh. finished was against Crow Cop, and it was a cut. Like maybe the guy just got a good enough chin to eat that damage early, and uh, and Mays gets tired, flops around, and, and we find a submission on the ground. It isn't gonna be pretty. That the Lebaner submission, they they le- legitimately refer to it as a fat man choke. Like he's he's literally just got like his body and his body weight over top. Uh, I don't know if there's really a choke going on there, but it was or some. I don't. I don't. I, I couldn't even describe the choke to be perfectly honest. Um, this is, yeah, this is bottom of the barrel, Cody. Eight to one. Uh, I don't mind that. I'm hoping one of these other books opens it up so I can get like a 10 to one. I'd be all over that. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'd like I'm gonna, to see... I'm going to end up with money on it, but, uh, by revealing as, as... this on the show, I worry that, uh, that we don't get, we don't get up to 10 to one. Yeah, I know. I know. It just it just comes down to the game plan. Like Mays likes to box. If he stays on the outside, he's got an eighty-one chin reach. You know, he wins it on the outside. If Roque Martinez closes the distance, gets him up against the cage, tires him out, yeah, he, he could defeat him in rounds two or three, maybe with a submission. But uh, I mean, you got Dante Mays is six foot six. You got Roque Martinez is five foot ten. Mm-hmm. And I heard a guy the other day say LeBron James would kick Colby Covington's ass. Because it's similar fucking numbers. That's not. I, I'm joking. Yeah, no. Height no, means absolutely fuck all. Roque Martinez has fought a lot of tall guys. Uh, yeah, he, dude, he's he's durable. Like, he's hard to knock out. Maze ain't going to submit him. So, yeah, now you have a problem where Maze needs to knock him out in the first. Not going to happen. Maze is then going to get tired. And you're going to have two guys that are really tired leaning on each other. What's the over one and a half in this fight? Over one and a half. One second here. Because that's, got... that's what it's going Minus uh, 175. It's it's pretty juiced up yeah. for a bunch yeah. of greasy. Yeah, that is, that is juiced. I'll wait until they drop fight starts around two. And yeah, I might even have the over two and a half. Honestly, you know when you see those heavyweight fights where it's like, oh, I'm so excited for this. Both guys are staring at each other and they're both really tired and it's real slow and real boring. Yeah, this one's got that written all over it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I would say that the over is probably as good of a bet. I'm not taking Mays at two to one. I'd rather take the over one and a half at a better price. And Roque Martinez... I could I could take that dog I could take that shot on that dog. We've talked about so many other dogs that feel a lot better that I'm not going to force him. I'm but not to take be- something yeah. like you're saying a six to one prop on a submission, Eight to a one. seven to one prop. You, you, that hey man, that's what that's punting right, and that's cool. That's getting a really good price, putting a little bit of money on it, making the I don't first think fight he wins on the card a striking that much exchange. more interesting. Yeah, I don't think he wins a striking exchange against. Uh... Against Dante Mays by any stretch of the imagination, maybe he's able to hold him up against the cage and and win by just like controlling up against the cage, and it gets really really ugly. But even at that cro- close proximity, I would feel good about that type of situation. That's the kind of fight I want. But yeah, I wouldn't bet him at plus one eighty five. Like he really hasn't beaten anybody of significance and hasn't looked great. Uh, he came in on short notice against Romanov, so. Maybe he looks. Uh, maybe he gives a little bit of a better account of himself. Maybe he's going to be in better shape. We'll be looking at the weigh-ins, obviously. And, and I'm not expecting this guy to look like a male Adonis. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> speaking of a good account of himself, how long do you think Dante Mays lasts against Alexander Romanov? Because it ain't nine minutes and forty-four seconds. I tell you that. Nope. Uh, yeah, Roke is taking a thrashing on the ground, but like, there's no quit in this guy. And with Mays, I'm not going to call him a quitter either. I just mean 
when they're both really tired in that second and third round, it'll be lined up even. It won't be two to one Dante Mays after the first. It'll be even because they'll both be tired and it'll just both, both, it'll be a lot sloppier. But I would have to say, gun to my head, that I would take Dante Mays because I got other dogs I like better. But just yeah. the price screams absolute pass. I'll, I'll drop him on the PRP here, but it, it screams absolute pass from like a, a confidence bet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let's quickly just rip, rip through who we like on DraftKings, uh, starting with the main event, uh, RDA versus Felder. I mean, most main events, you probably need the winner. I think from what we said, RDA, we think, has a wrestling advantage in this spot. I know he wasn't training for a fight where he's going to have to use offensive wrestling, but that would be a pretty good idea for him to mix that in against Paul Felder on the feet. I think it's very competitive, but RDA 8,800, I think he could do a lot worse. Um, you're probably going to need the winner of Chaos Williams versus Al Hassan, specifically if it ends up being Williams and Al Hassan kind of blows his wad a little bit too early. Um, anybody else jump off the page to you? Yeah, I'm just trying to load my. I kind of like Canones just because, like, Smolka just goes for those takedowns, early transitions, all of that type of stuff. But if he's not able to put Canones away, we've kind of seen a history of, of Smolka gassing out in those spots. Maybe the drinking and all of the other you know, the other issues that we all have our times uh, going through. Maybe maybe that was kind of an issue for him in the past, but I don't know. I Give me Canonas at 7,800 in that spot. I think that those are three guys that I'm really targeting. It sounded like you like uh, McKenna, so 7,000. Uh, if you really think that she has a grappling event, she's going to get takedowns in this spot. That seems like a decent spot too. Yeah, in terms of people that have a high potential to score, yeah, obviously Rafael Sanders in the main event just he's got five rounds to work with, and he's one of those guys that has scored a lot. You've mentioned it 100%. Al Hassan versus Chaos Williams. You want some exposure on that. Chaos Williams being so much more uh, like cheaper, if he ends up knocking out Al Hassan in the second or third round, even just wins the fight, he could definitely be on an optimal. Julian Marquez versus Safarov. Listen, Marquez is a quick finisher. He gets those finishes. Safarov has toppled over a couple times in his day as well. I would say if you're looking to play for someone that's going to shoot high, it'd be Julian Marquez. But there's so many unknowns with the layoff, and if Safarov gives a better account of himself. McKenna, as you mentioned, 7,000. Um, <clears> a lot of the time at 115 pounds, it's like, well, where are the points going to come from? It's like there's so much going on. There's scrambles, and there's takedowns, and they're ex- exchanging position. They're back up standing, and they, they throw three punches back into the clinch. Like There's definitely a really good ability to score there. Eric Anders is such a traditionally low score. I do not yeah, like that away. whatsoever. Arroyo, it's hard to put points up against Eric Anders. So, again, I don't want either side of that. Sean Strickland showed against Jack Marshman. He's not a scorer. He showed he had 100 significant strikes in that fight. But that's not going to happen against anybody else but Jack Marshman. He was unwilling to even try to take him down, which is the easiest way to beat Jack Marshman. Mm-hmm. And even though he was, like, smiling and telling him, like, Jack, go down and, like, go. There, he wasn't, there was no killer instinct. It wasn't like he was swarming him. He was just hitting him and then talking to him a little bit. So, like, I, I'm not huge on his ability to score massively. Brandon Allen is a good score, but because I have him losing this fight, I don't want to be on that side of it. Uh, Ashley Yotter would be such a – I mean, it wouldn't be the prettiest play at all, but I could see her potentially. If she gets Granger down, she was – she'd be so low ownership that in that regard, in that regard, maybe made worth it. You could probably you could still see pass a lot of cage one. work type of fight, yeah. though, and that should – Riz- that's just an underdog. cancer, man. Rizmik, he's an underdog with a 100% finish ratio, so he's most definitely worth a look. Uh, Smoke is hard to put away, but Quinones, again, the price is right on him. Murata, with the takedowns, if Marcos doesn't get back up, the striking's not very good. 
She's not looking to improve her position on the ground. You, you need a lot of takedowns. And I don't know that that fight plays out like that. So a little hesitant on a Murata play. She's a little too expensive for my liking. Uh, Tony Gravely, again, this makes a lot of sense. But I got to I gotta retape that one. That's like the only fight on the card. I'm not super confident. Not confident in the way of just like, oh, this could go 50-50. Not confident. Like, like there's still more for me to learn on this. I, I just need to I need to tighten up a little bit on the tape study on that one. And then Mays versus Roque Martinez. Like, I think it'll be a sloppy heavyweight fight. I don't think either of these guys score big. But, yes, you, you make a good point. If Roque Martinez gets this into the second or third round, is able to fall on top of him and smits him with the neck crank, then, uh, yeah, he's going to score price, pretty good. He ends I mean, up paying yeah, off. Exactly. But, Jesus, I mean, it's like 8-1 to one for that to happen. It's That's like the, the gen bet of the week. I'm going to have money on it for sure. Man, yeah. Why won't these cowardly books? Why won't these cowardly books open up that submission prop at other places? I want, I want more oh, options, man. Cody. I want more options. Anyway. Uh, all right, we're just about out of time here, but before we go, hit him with the PRP. Okay, so we're starting it off with Rafael Dos Anjos. We're going to go Abdullah Razak Al-Hassan. Definitely have a like a, a look at that live betting after the first round. Could be a really good spot for Chaos Williams, but as far as the PRP goes, Rafael Dos Anjos, Al-Hassan. Mm-hmm. We're going to go Julian Marquez. Dog number one is going to be Corey McKenna. I'm going to take Eric Anders. I'm going to take Sean Strickland. That's even money. Ashley Yotter is going to be dog number two. Reese McKee is going to be dog number three. Albert Quinone is going to be dog number four. Murata is a favorite. Tony Gravely is a favorite. I guess I would take Dante Mays, but I really like where you're coming from. As far as like props goes, I got the Mays fight for the over. Like that's what I like more than that. <clears throat> and um, and yeah, honestly, there's there's some good overs in this card altogether. Maybe I'll tweet at some point out this week. But you mentioned the PRPs this week are going to be absolutely juiced up because of all the underdogs. Like yeah, man, you make a really make good point. The there's lives. a lot of underdogs. And and if you're I looking mean, at this card, like, and you're like, you know these- what? I don't. Yeah, yeah we're taking we're taking low level like it's low level fighters, and the the general mentality I think here, and I I imagine you'll agree is that a lot of it's just like a lot of these people are unproven. So the the favorites with like a you know implied seventy percent chance of winning these fights, they probably don't win seventy percent of their fights against just about anybody at this level. And you know, you know something. This is okay. Greasy theory because we just haven't really been doing a whole lot of greasy theories lately. Because there's no, there's no weight to this theory. It's more of just like the way the fucking universe works. Mm-hmm. Um, They've been getting pounded, pounded by a whole bunch of favorites all coming through. Do yeah, you think the books have ago, like over. Two, they've overreacted now. No, I just mean, I mean, two weeks ago, it's all favorites, right? They keep telling you Robert Whitaker was the underdog. He he was not the fucking underdog. He was not. Okay? He was the favorite all week, and he went off at plus one hundred. Mm-hmm. but it's not underdog you did not get dog money on him not an underdog win so then you go then you go after that contender series from last week not last night last week four fights all four favorites cool you roll into the bellator card crush that bellator card fucking all the favorites won right you go to the ufc card all the favorites won except for the last two fights andrea lossi comes through as an underdog in the co-main event our boy glover takes air thank god save the night in the main event two dog picks and then last night contender series five fights five favorites all five wins. You and I look at cards. We have a lot of favorites. We bet favorites. I know the show's not called Dogger Pass, but we're into picking the right fucking winner. There's been a lot of favorites. You and I look at a card, and we both agree that there's six. Under- How often does that happen? Very. We're not I, I was. Spots. I we're actually forcing spots. If the favorite's gonna win, we pick the fucking favorite. If the underdog looks good, baby, we go with the underdog. This doesn't I, happen often, and so I think it's it's the kind of card where you see half the underdogs win. It's the kind of card where you say it's dog city. The dogs are barking. It's that kind of card. And we haven't had that kind of card in a while. In fact, the last time we did, 
was the last time Chaos Williams fought. So uh, let's go, baby. Put throw a little chaos in this bitch. <laughs> I actually even told Pat this week. I was just like, I like a lot of dogs this week. Like, you know, looking through the some of the tape and watching, like looking through records, figuring out, you know, where people's strengths and weaknesses are. I'm like, I like a lot of dogs. And I'm like, Cody's a sick fucking chalk donkey. And uh, and then all of a sudden you show up and like a whole bunch of dogs. So let's fucking get it this week. Let's get it, baby. Let's get it. Get in all the right. heart of Glover Texera. Well, yeah, maybe maybe we're just rolling <laughs> off of that. The, he may be the goat dog at this point. I've made so much money betting on Glover Texera at this point. 41 years old, and I know that you're like the, you know, you're the resident ageist around here. But, man, that guy is built different. Built differently and that yeah, he's obviously got this like undesirable will to win. But beyond that, it's like it it's it I don't know if it's the bookmaker, I don't know if it's the 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 fanfare, I don't know if it's any of these things, right? But there's certain guys that will lose as big favorites and then get lined as a big favorite every time. There's certain guys that are always big favorites and they never quite deliver it, they're always big favorites. Glover takes Sarah is always lined as a big underdog. Like the fact that he was an underdog against Carl Roberson. I'll never understand. The fact that he was minus 125 against Ian Kudalaba, I'll never understand. It's the fact like, that he's minus 110. But here, here's what I'm getting it's at. It's like he got he's knocked out against, against Anthony Rumble Johnson. Everyone's like, oh, the guy's chinning. Now he's been stumbled, Chitty. and we saw it against uh, Tiago Santos again. He gets stumbled. He gets wobbled. But, like, it takes a lot to actually put him out. Well, that's it. It's like it, when he fought Anthony Smith, it, it, he ended up going off as a minus 175 underdog. Man, we talked about how that was a gift from the gods. One is minus one set or plus 175. And then to come back from that to be a plus 200 favorite. And listen, he would have won in a three round fight. I, I, I'm pretty adamant in a three round fight, Glover, I'd be sweating a little more. But like in five round fights, dude, you better knock him out. You better make sure you knock this guy out if it's a five round fight. Cause it's like he, uh, you know, one of those things where it's like, oh man, when you're in a bad spot, you just think of, you know, your daughter or your wife. I don't know what it is that this guy thinks about. I don't know the dark place that he needs to go to, but it's like, you better hope that he's unconscious or he's just going to, and, and that's, and then we can fight we can for cap that it takedown. Off. Like he, yeah, yeah. I was, I, I, was I visited my mom. I was watching that fight and just like, I'm borderline like victory lapping already, like talking about all we need is one more takedown. Then he gets dropped, and I was, I was just freaking out. Um, but yeah, sure enough, you know he gets he gets wobbled around a bit. He starts eating some shit while he's on bottom, is able to reverse it, and as soon as he got on that back, it was all she wrote. That was like, you know, Tiago Santos's last stand, basically. I, I agree, man. I agree. But you, you know, you bet these, you bet a ton of spots. You got favorites, you got underdogs, you got all these spots. And the one thing is we can do the tape study. We can do the homework. We can, we can do as much as that we want. You don't really know how someone's going to react until they're in that hot fire and they're getting hit and they face that adversity. And that's why there's a certain group of guys that we say, fight for your money. This guy will not quit under no, if Glover gets knocked out in that third round against Tiago, I'm not upset. No. Not upset because this man gave me a 100% effort. I do get upset, not online, not for more than 10 minutes, but it's like not everybody's out there going 100%. Guys are thinking, oh, man, fuck, I, I gotta, I'll come back in a few months and do this again. Glover fights every fight like this might be the last time he laces them up, and that's a very unique characteristic. So if you're going to give me two to one on Glover, I pretty much take him over most guys just because I, I know he's, gonna, he's got skill, 
and uh, he's got the willingness and the desire. That's not something you find everywhere else. But anyways, it looks like a fun enough card all, all around. So yeah, if you need Bellator picks, hit me up at some point during the week. I'm tape studying that now as well. And then, yeah, maybe you mix up a couple fun picks from Bellator and some fun picks from the UFC. we got lots of dogs going this weekend. So uh, yeah, yeah, definitely got an exciting feel to it, Paul. No shortage of MMA whatsoever. All right, thank you to Cody Saftik for being on the line, break, dropping his knowledge. Like always, thanks to Matt Best, producer Matt Best, behind the scenes doing all the sweet cuts for us and putting in the hard work. For Cody and Matt, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Experience! Experience!